I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Rob Wolf, and welcome to episode number 55 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history, because to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is in some way or another unformidable. So today I thought I would be incredibly current, or at least as current as a show highlighting old and less heralded myths can be. Or if you're listening to this right around when I've recorded it, uh, today's subject is someone whose name has appeared in the news this week, not necessarily in the best of ways. The 2021 Mets, of course, have been hit with a ridiculous spate of injuries and bringing in or bringing up tons of players. Uh, plenty of future unformidable candidates just keep coming and going. Like Jake Hager, we hardly knew ye. They've helped the team to some unlikely success, but uh, some of them, of course, have struggled offensively, particularly Cameron Mabin, about the fifth-string center fielder, uh, but now the everyday center fielder, thanks to all of our injuries, has notably struggled. Uh, just the other day, he matched a dubious Met mark of the longest Ofer to start a Mets career at Ofer 26 and counting. I've spent a disproportionate amount of my life watching, reading about, and absorbing everything I can about the Mets since they first came to my 
conscious attention circa 1978-1979, and I did somewhat recognize the name, but I have to admit I myself knew very little about the man whose unfortunate start Cameron may have been equaled, uh, who is today the subject of today's unformidable Mr. Charlie Smith. Charles William Smith was born September 15, 1937, in Charleston, South Carolina, and quite fittingly for a future early Met, uh, Charlie Smith was signed by the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1957, and indeed at the time of his signing they were still the Brooklyn Dodgers. He was one of the last players to be signed while the organization officially made its home in Brooklyn. Smith would, of course, ultimately become a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers organization, uh, with whom he would ultimately wind up making his Major League debut, and his journey through the organization and uh, the fact that they moved the organization out west would have quite the impact on his life. Uh, With the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, Charlie Smith reported to Reno for his first level, uh, then C-ball, it was classified as, and he would wind up settling in Reno and living there most of his life, or most of his non-baseball life. I, from what I read, I believe he met his wife there, and they did settle out in Reno after he retired from professional baseball. Smith progressed steadily through the Dodgers minor league organization, displaying good power seemed to be his calling card. He hit 21 home runs in A-ball in 1958, um, in 1959, in Double A, he added 19 more homers and slashed an impressive 309, 349, 498. Hard to gauge exactly by prospect standards what uh, what he would have been thought of. He clearly didn't walk a lot, as that 349 on base percentage indicates, uh, but that was probably less of a red flag in those days. His power certainly was promising, and uh, he was certainly well sought after in trades, as his trade history as a major leaguer would somewhat attest to. But before he'd be involved in all of those trades and become a much-traveled major leaguer, uh, he would indeed make his major league debut at the Dodgers, as previously mentioned. In 1960, he earned the fabled September call-up and made his debut on September 8th, of 1960 as a major league ball player, starting at third base, his primary position in the majors, behind the one and only Sandy Koufax on the mound. Uh, not not in a walk-off sense, but uh, his first game in the majors was a very Patrick Mazika-esque uh, box score. He went 0 for 3 with two RBIs, uh, driving in a run with a ground out in the first inning and adding a sacrifice fly in the second inning as the Dodgers staked Koufax to an early 7-0 lead. Koufax would go the distance in that game, holding on for a 7-4 victory and outdueling the future winner of the Mets' very first game, Jay Hook, in a 7-4 Dodger victory over the Reds. Uh, Interesting side note, that victory in September raised Sandy Koufax's record on the year to 7-12, and dropped his ERA to 4.13. I, I did a triple take when I saw the 7-12 and 12 record. Uh, this was, of course, early in Koufax's career, and as Mike Francesa would likely say, this was before Koufax was Koufax. Smith would get the starting nod the next day, and he would only go hitless in his first seven at-bats as a Dodger, 
uh, much better than when he joined the Mets. So he finally recorded his first major league hit on September 9th, uh, an infield single against Bob Buell of the Braves, uh, making him one for four in the game, but getting him on the board as a major leaguer. Overall, Smith would actually get a decent amount of playing time down the stretch for a Dodger team that was pretty good, above 500, but out of the race in September, finishing 13 games behind the NL and soon-to-be world champion Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, in that little cup of coffee in 60, Smith had 60 at-bats. He hit 167, no homers, 5 RBIs. In 61, Smith seemed like would seem like a, he was a candidate to make the Major League roster. He didn't make the team uh, out of spring training, but he did come up in mid-April. Uh, only played sporadically as a Dodger, but he did manage to hit his first Major League home run in a Dodger uniform, a uh, two-run homer off of Kurt Simmons of the Cardinals. And again, he would just kind of play sporadically into May until the Dodgers traded him to the Phillies uh, with Don Demeter for Turk Farrell and Joe Cope. The Phillies gave him kind of his first real shot at real major everyday playing time at the age of 23. He would start 98 games at third base for them, another 12 at shortstop. Um, his glove was usually not his strong suit uh, in his major league career, Charlie Smith, uh, and he, at 23, underwhelmed offensively, hit 248 and only slugged 365, which again was probably what people were looking for from him, was that he would develop into a slugger at third base, but that would not be in Philadelphia. Uh, in the 61 offseason, they shipped him off to the Chicago White Sox. Uh, he and brought in a pretty decent return, uh, power-hitting uh, infielder Roy Seavers, who had been an all-star in the night during the 1961 season, so and he was in his 30s, so the White Sox went a little younger there. Um, but Smith really continued to struggle to establish himself on the major league level. He had a very poor start to the 62 season and spent most of his time with the White Sox that year in AAA. Might have struggled with injuries looking at the number of at bats he had in AAA, and his numbers there were just not very good. Um, and in in 1963, he spent most of the year again at the White Sox AAA organization. He flashed his power again. That came back, but he got very little time in the roster of the White Sox, maybe starting to look like a quad A player who wouldn't quite uh, get a chance at the major league level. But though there wasn't a spot for him on the major league level with Chicago, there just might be a spot for him in the majors on a nascent Major League Baseball franchise that had just had two terrible inaugural seasons and, of course, relied on a lot of older, washed-up veteran players. Um, so shortly after the Mets moved to their snazzy new stadium in Flushing, Queens, Shea Stadium, uh, just a couple of weeks into that season, the New York Mets acquired Charlie Smith, who had made the White Sox opening day roster, but on April 23rd, shipped him to the New York Mets in exchange for Chico Fernandez and Bobby Catton and Cash. I don't know if it was $1, like Cameron may have been. Probably not. The Mets were 1-5 on the young 1964 season when Smith joined them. He made his Met debut the very next day in the seventh inning as a defensive replacement for Rod Keneal. And that kind of ironic, given how much he would struggle defensively that year for the Mets. 
And he would get to make his Met debut in the ninth inning of that game, harmlessly popping out to third base in his first at-bat as a New York Met. And that pop-out would begin a run of futility for the start of a Mets career that had, you know, had not been matched in the two years before and would not be matched again for some 57 years until uh, poor Cameron Maven got off to a slow start with the Mets this year in 2021 as Smith would start his Mets career 0 for 26, not getting off the schneid until May 3rd. Uh, This time he started the game and played behind J-Hook rather than in a game that J-Hook started against Sandy Koufax. And uh, in the fifth inning, I believe it was, Smith ripped an RBI double into the left center field gap, putting the Mets up 1-0, and finally snapping uh, that terrible uh, stretch to start his Mets career. And pretty much from that, he had been playing pretty regularly anyway, but yeah, obviously Casey Stengel stuck with him, and from that day on, Smith settled in as a Mets regular third baseman in 1964. Uh, he did get a handful of starts at shortstop and in left field as well. And Smith would play in some memorable games in that first season at Shea Stadium. The most notable, of course, was not one that would go the Mets' way, which, if you were playing the percentages of early 60s Mets games, you probably could have guessed that. Uh, But just with the Mets for a couple of months uh, was Charlie Smith when on Father's Day of 1964, future Hall of Famer Jim Bunning took the hill against the Mets in the first game of a doubleheader. Uh, Bunning came into that game on June 21st, 64, 6-2, with an earned run average of 2.27. Just a few starts earlier, he had thrown a one-hitter against the 1962 expansion Houston Astros. And little did anyone attending the game know, but Jim Bunning would improve upon that one-hitter against the National League's other 1962 expansion outlet as Jim Bunning would go on to throw what I guess would be considered the fifth modern-era perfect game in Major League history against the Mets, in front of more than 32,000 fans at Shea in sweltering 90-plus degree heat. Fans who, I think, from what I've read by like the fifth inning or so, realized the history they were watching and rather quickly in the game began rooting against the Mets and to witness perfection. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I have another unformidable plan soon. I think we actually will wind up touching on this game again. Not to be repetitive from a from a different angle, 
But uh, Smith had actually been somewhat hot in June coming into that game, establishing himself as the regular third baseman. But as you could guess, like his eight teammates, he went 0 for 3 on June 21st. He batted seventh that game, which meant he let off the ninth inning and he fouled out to shortstop in his last chance to break up perfection. Two batters later, Jim Bunning had made history and thrown a perfect game against the Mets. But Smith had a couple of memorable Met games of his own in the positive sense in 1964, a memorable ninth inning or two as well. On August 17th of 1964, he had the first two-home run game of his career against the Pirates in a 5 nothing Mets win at home, two two-run homers, uh, driving in four of the five runs. I tried really hard to look it up. I was wondering if it was possible it could have been the first two-home run game for a Met at Shea Stadium. Uh, they didn't hit many home runs that year, uh, so I thought it was possible, but I didn't look through every game. Uh, but uh, if anyone knows, please let me know. Uh, he continued to stay hot on that homestand, uh, Charlie Smith. Uh, same homestand a week later on August 23rd. He lined a, he came up with the bases loaded in a tie game of the ninth, uh, again in the second game of a doubleheader this time, uh, which... A lot of doubleheaders back then, uh, and they went nine innings. How about that? But uh, with the bases loaded, he ripped a single into the left center field gap. Probably would have been an extra base hit, but obviously not needed because it plated the walk-off run for the Mets to get a 5-4 victory over the Cubs. Smith closed out the 64 season pretty well, too. He hit safely in 12 of his last 15 games, and homered in each of the last two games of the year against the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, so, you know, in brief, he did probably what I imagine the Mets brought him there to do, which was provide some power. Uh, that was his calling card as a prospect. And Smith's 20 home runs led the team in 1964 and were virtually 20% of the team's 103 home run total for the whole team for the season. His defense, on the other hand, was more disappointing. He committed 31 errors in 1964, 23 of them at third, giving him a 917 fielding percentage. His uh, his war for the year was 0.8. His offensive war was 2, but his defensive numbers really brought him down. So both traditional and advanced metrics would, uh, would say that he struggled with the glove uh, in 1964. But he would return and spend a second season with the Mets in 1965, uh, again as their primary third baseman. Uh, started out slow. He was hitting under 200 in May. But he began to turn his season around in the middle of the month, starting on May 16th, when he pulled the Robin Ventura-esque feat of homering in both ends of a doubleheader against the Cincinnati Reds, uh, helping the Mets to a rare doubleheader sweep in 1965. And from there on out, he was more consistent offensively for the team. And in September of 1965, on the 12th, he had his second walk-off hit as a Met, this time uh, winning a game in the bottom of the 10th, a game that was scoreless into the bottom of the 10th with a two-out single, uh, sending the Mets to a victory over the Milwaukee Braves and raising their record to a scintillating 43-100 and on September 12th of 1965. Smith's traditional counting numbers weren't quite as exciting in 1965, but for that 
offensive era in that time, they were pretty decent. He led the team in RBIs, uh, granted with 62. He was second to young Rong Swoboda on the team in home runs with his 16. He was also second on the team in doubles with what would be a career-high 20 for Charlie Smith. Uh, for the 65 season, his slash line was 244, 273, 393, giving him an eerie 666 OPS. His 1965 was actually better overall than 64. His defense was improved by both traditional and advanced metrics. He was a net positive on both sides of the ball and was third on the team in war, according to baseball reference, with a two war in 1965. But of course, no one paid attention to her calculated war in 1965, and I don't know what the Mets thought of his season, but they would part with him after the 65 season anyway, trading him away to the St. Louis Cardinals for Ken Boyer, who actually had won the National League MVP award in 1964 and was quite the Cardinal legend, uh, though coming off an incredibly disappointing 65. Boyer was, of course, in the twilight of his career, and the Mets got him on the back end of that. Uh, He hit 14 homers in 1966, uh, which would be the last double-digit total of his illustrious 11-time All-Star career. <laughs> but the trade didn't really work out on either end. Smith, for his part, uh, really struggled replacing a Cardinal legend. Uh, he had only 10 homers and 43 RBIs in the 66 season as a Cardinal, although he did get a measure of revenge against his former team on... August 14th, 1966, uh, Smith would get the third and final walk-off hit of his career, this time for the Cardinals against the Mets. Again, a doubleheader. Uh, Charlie Smith had a thing for excelling in doubleheaders, apparently. Uh, but the the names and the developments in this one were so great, I just wanted to go by, go by the ninth inning, batter by batter, as the Mets led 3-1 going into the ninth against the Cardinals, poised to earn a victory over Steve Carlton. Uh, Jack Hamilton was on the mound for the Mets. He got the first two batters out, Phil Galliano and Lou Brock, but with two outs, the Mets up by two. He walked Kurt Flood, surrendered a single to Tim McCarver, and walked Orlando Cepeda to load the bases. Ralph Terry came in to pitch for the Mets, and the Cardinals had Bob Gibson pinch run for Orlando Cepeda, so the potential winning run on first base was Bob Gibson, and I just love that that's a thing that happened. I know they'd never pinch run Jacob DeGrom now, and I mean, as much as I romanticize old baseball, I wouldn't want the Mets to pinch run Jacob DeGrom, but, you know, that's still just cool. Um, so in a 3-1 game, Mike Shannon, current Cardinal announcing legend, uh, single to left to t- score Flood and McCarver. Uh, tying the game up. Bob Gibson went first to third on that single, so obviously an excellent pinch-running choice. And then Charlie Smith singled to left, sending the Mets to defeat, getting some revenge against his former team by plating Bob Gibson with the winning run. Definitely the highlight of Charlie Smith's Cardinal career, I would imagine, and it was not enough for the Cardinals to want to keep him, but it was enough. Uh, His season was enough for him to be traded for another baseball legend, uh, albeit again a legend near the end of his career, as in the 1966 offseason, Smith would be sent to the New York Yankees straight up for none other than Roger Maris. Maris was, of course, past his 
home run record prime, uh, but he did play a solid supplemental role for the 1967 world champion Cardinals. And Smith would struggle in his two years in the Bronx. Uh, 67 would kind of be his last year as a regular player. Uh, He would play in a career high uh, 135 games, matching matching what he did in 65 with the Mets. Uh, But his numbers were down across the board offensively. Uh, He lost his regular role, and he, uh, in 68, he was in only 46 games, getting 70 at-bats for the Yankees. After the 68 offseason, they traded him to the Giants. Uh, He never played with them. He was waived before the 69 season, and he latched on with the Cubs in 1969. Uh, So as the Mets were finally becoming good, uh, Charlie Smith's career was at its end. He got in only two games in April of 69 for the Cubs, going 0 for 2 in his last professional Major League Baseball action. So Charlie Smith made his mark on the Mets in ways other than just his 0 for 26 start to his career. Uh, his 20 home runs in 1964 was the most ever by a Met third baseman, granted, Not that notable in the team's third season of existence, but that record actually stood until 1987, when Howard Johnson hit 36 home runs. And if you pull up the Mets all-time home run seasons in third base, it's a fun, you know, it's just a lot of Hojo, David Wright, Robin Ventura, Edgardo Alfonso, and then that one Charlie Smith season thrown in there. Smith is also uh, the answer to a peculiar trivia question in that he was the first player uh, to play and play for the Mets, Yankees, Cubs, and White Sox in his major league career, which is, I mean, I don't know, a thing. For his career, he hit 69 homers, drove in 281 runs, had a career 239 batting average, 279 on-base percentage, 370 slugging for a 649 OPS and an 83 OPS plus. They said his defense was erratic at best, and yeah, he certainly would not have thrived in the Moneyball era. His seasons with the Mets in 64, he walked 19 times and struck out 101 times, and in 65, he walked 17 times and struck out 123 times. I know those strikeout numbers wouldn't quite put him on the radar, but uh, they were top 10 in the National League both years. And yeah, I think even by that era, the, those walk totals were pretty pretty uh, pedestrian. But he did accrue 4.9 war in his career, according to baseball reference, in his 10-year Major League career, in which he got in almost 2,500 at-bats, 2,484 to be exact. Uh, and his two years with the Mets, you know, whether the opportunity of playing for a young team that gave him the chance, and also coinciding with his year 26 and 27 seasons, or whatever, but were definitely the best seasons of his career. He had 36 of those 69 home runs, drove in 120 runs for the Mets, hit 242, 274 on base, 397 slugging uh, for a 671 OPS, and he recorded 2.8 war uh, in his two seasons as a Met, uh, definitely the best he performed uh, for any team over his not incredibly long but relatively well-traveled Major League career. Smith tragically passed away um, in 1994 at the young age of 57 uh, following a blood clot 
uh, after complications from knee surgery. As mentioned earlier, he had settled in Reno with his wife and family after he retired from baseball. But forget the inauspicious start to his Mets career that's brought him to our attention. He had a couple of walk-off hits, a lot of dingers for a young expansion team that didn't have a ton of power, uh, appeared in a perfect game, and got was involved in some really notable Major League trades for those reasons and for many others. Charlie Smith, truly unformidable. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazingAvenue.com for more Mets-related content, and follow Amazing Avenue on all of your social media platforms. You can find this and all of our Amazing Pods wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps out. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go Mets!